On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Well, and think of it again from a player's perspective. Unfortunately, it, it, it sort of brings in a bit more of a selfish uh, culture and, and environment because you're just worried about your place in the team. And, and that's not how best the best teams in the world play. The best teams in the world play selflessly. They play for the team, knowing that even if they have a couple of low scores or things don't go their way because they're trying to do the right thing by the team, that they know the selectors or the coach is going to stick with them. Uh, and, and invariably, what happens is what, when you see those selfless acts from your players, things start going your way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, a.k.a. Menners. And joining me this week, I have some extra special guests. Later on in the show, I have interviews with Rod Marsh and Alex Carey. But to kick things off, I have News Corp's chief cricket writer, Ben Horn, in studio. Ben, how are you? Very good. Thanks, Menners. Um I did a little bit of wiki-keeping in my time, not quite to the standard of Rod Marsh and Alex Carey. Joe, did you keep when you were a kid? No, I was uh, famously named the under-10s wiliest spinner of the uh, of the Glebe side, so <laughs> not a wiki-keeper. It's but, the wily one. Yeah, but a potentially worn successor that just went off the rails. <laughs> Are you the right height for wiki-keeping, Ben? And the did other you have p- the gloves, Menace? No, no, I no. was a bad off-spinner and opening batsman. And yes, the... the Dulcet tones you heard there is Joe Barton, who's one of the digital sports writers for the Daily Telegraph in Sydney. Joe, how are you? I'm great. Uh, I was was better before Benny started sledging me already on the podcast before I'd even been introduced. But yeah, no, going going great guns. It's great to have you both in. So listeners, uh, we're going to start off the show. Ben, Joe and I are going to wrap up all the biggest cricket news. Ben has the best insights going around, so stay tuned for them. No offense, Joe, your insights are pretty good too, but... Uh, we That's know Ben's, Ben's on the cricket beat all the time. And then uh, to end the show, we've got these two feature interviews with Rod Marsh and Australia's one-day international wicketkeeper and vice-captain Alex Carey. So massive show. Before we get into all that, just thank all the listeners for the support over the first 50 shows of Cricket Unfiltered. Uh, it was a great last week to celebrate the milestone with Mike Hussey and Alan Border to absolute legends of the game and I think as the show's evolved it's become part in-depth interview and part discussion and analysis so I think that's the character of Cricket Unfiltered that we're trying to go for take the time to get to know some cricketers and people around the game but also then step back and reflect and analyze on what's going on in the game and the important uh, themes and news around the game so I guess to sort of start off with that theme, what I thought was interesting last week was Alan Border and Mike Hussey both seemed to think that the best way for this Australian team to revitalise and find its mojo is for the selectors to find a core group of players and pick and stick. I guess, Ben, what's your thoughts on that sort of theory? Well, I'm not sure they're really in a position to do that um, necessarily because, you know, of the state of flux, but... I've got to say, after looking at the performances from the first few shield rounds and looking back at the last couple of tests, 
the strongest argument you could probably could mount is that they should just stick with the same six that they had in against Pakistan. That's my opinion. Um, not that these guys have sort of really been blowing anyone away, but you've had the Marsh brothers both make a couple of hundreds. Uh, Travis Head made an 87 and, and apparently got a very dud decision. Uh, Manus Lubbershane has only made 150 this Shield season, but he did go, he was, I would say, in our top four players over in uh, in the UAE. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think the selectors are in a position to enforce all the time what Huss is saying, but I do think at the moment uh, sticking with the same six might be their best best choice. Yeah, everyone wants to... Um Wants to be able to pick and stick. That's that's obviously ideal. If you can, if you if you're picking the same eleven every week, that's 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 what it's it's you're gonna have a world class team. But the issue is, quite often the guys aren't informed. They're not scoring runs. Therefore, you have no you have no alternative but to to try other options. I'm, I'm not a selector, so I'm not going to be pushing for um for picking mm-hmm. the same eleven every time. But like, look 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 at um like the New South Wales rugby league team over the years. That's been the problem problem Can there. No cons- no consistency and for ten years. But the reason why they lost wasn't because they kept changing the team review. It's because they were playing better teams. That's mm. that's that's the main issue. That's going to be tough I, to edit that rugby league bit <laughs> out, but continue. Yeah, I mean, the other way to look at it, and the other important point is that um, although Australia got away with a 1-0 loss in against Pakistan and the first series draw, first test draw was obviously a good result in the end, Like Australia's batting was not good enough in that series in any shape or form. I mean, aside from Usman Khawaja's fantastic knock and a couple of good contributions from the likes of Aaron Finch and Travis Head and Tim Payne. Uh, there was a lot of fairly average stuff going on there. So I guess based on that, it, it may be a little bit um, risky to be sticking with the same six. And, and think about like the biggest criticism of the Australian selectors over the past kind of three years has been how many chances are they going to give the Marsh boys? Like that, that is their attempt to pick in, pick and stick is by giving guys that they think will have um, positive contributions in, in the long term and it's been one of the one of the biggest criticisms of them is like oh you give Sean Marsh another chance or you give Mitch Marsh another well, Sean chance. Sean Marsh is 35 so he's kind of a you know he's not a youngster you're trying to build no, up. No but, but he's an example of somebody who they have stuck by despite up and down performances like they, they, I think they have tried to pick and stick it's just it's, well, it's, it's like not an option. Of, I compared Mitch Marsh to Steve Waugh in that at similar stages of their career, both seemed like they weren't going to kick on at test level. And, that, and then, you know, Steve Waugh obviously did kick on. And, you know, Mitch Marsh is at that point now where he's been given 20-odd tests to find his feet. Now we need to see some results. But I also want to touch on what Hussey was saying about the fact that if you don't pick and stick, you breed a sort of selfishness and you also mean that players are constantly looking over their shoulders and don't play 100% for the team. And I think we're seeing that more in the one-day side than the test side. The one-day side is is a complete mess at the moment. I mean, I, it is, I know they did win one game against South Africa, and we don't know how India's going to shape up in these T20s, but like, it's difficult to see where their next win's going to come from in white ball cricket. They just, just nothing seems to be working. Uh, I think the test series will be more competitive. I just think... Home advantage is obviously a significant thing in Test cricket. Uh, Australia's bowlers are very strong, and you know, I, I mean, I think India may well win the series, but I think I think it's going to be a really tough competitive series. But yeah, the one day stuff, like, they almost have to um, start again. Really, um, that, the next one day series is in January, and uh, yeah, I think they need to do a complete rethink of, of what, where they're going with uh, with that side. Yeah, just getting back to what Hussey said, he, I think a lot of what he was referencing was kind of being in two minds so when when you go to the crease if your particular position is under threat 
in the team, but you're also looking at the game situation. Hussey was saying, well, do I go out there and play my own game, get 30, get 30 or 40 and potentially shore my spot up? Or do I go, bugger it, we need, we need, um, we need 50 runs off, off nine overs. I'm going to have to go the tonk here. And you kind of you get in the player in two minds, and once that happens, if a player's thinking about something else, then it's just not going to work. Like he's going to get out, but more more times than not. I do think, in you know, regards to Travis Head and Marnus Labuschagne, who are the two, or, and Finch, but Finch is you know seems to be in a different category. But Head and Labuschagne, they were both given debuts in the UAE. I do think in that case, like guys who are young blokes who have been given two Test matches and, and have shown a little bit, I, I think you have to have a really good reason to not pick them in this test. You and know what happened in what happened because, to Callum Ferguson yeah. where he comes in for a match and then he's ditched the next game. I mean, After a run out. What message does that give to a yeah. player? Well, I mean, like obviously they want to pick inform young guys, but I mean, is there anyone in the Shield competition that really stands out as, yes, you should should drop Marnus Lubbershane and pick this guy? I, I can't see it, but... Um, there's, there's no one scoring runs at the same rate that, say, Cam Bancroft was scoring last mm. year, so it's, it's not like a you must pick me. It's mm. there's guys who are doing all right. I think the form line saying I oh, will pick someone in form is actually a bit of a cop out from the selectors. I think at some stage you've got to make a judgment on who you think is capable at test level and, and back them a little bit. Yeah, and, and, and someone like Renshaw, for example, you know they've, they've missed the boat. He was in form, and then they didn't pick him, and now he's yeah. in a bit of a dip of form. So mm. yeah, he, he's he's unlucky because he probably should have been in that side. In the UAE, so you know his timing is unfortunate. But yeah, look, if they're bringing in a new face, for mine it has to either be Renshaw or Peter Hanscom. I wouldn't be going outside of those two. I think if you're bringing someone in, I'd like to see it being one of those two players. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just uh, finally, uh, Huss's comments did raise the ire of former national selector Mark War, who tweeted. I respect Huss's opinion, but I don't agree with it in this case. In an ideal world, selectors would like to pick and stick, but injuries, form, and programming have dictated selections, and at the end of the day, players need to take responsibility for their performance when given a chance. That was Mark War's little barb back. That's what you'd expect from a from a who was a selector up until very, very recently. But I guess, you know, now that Pat Howard is gone from the high-performance department, I think it is important to look at the selectors. And I hate saying this. I hate saying this. But we have to look at the, what England are doing with their selection panel and think, actually, this is a better model. You know, they've picked Ed Smith and James Taylor as what the, the main selectors, and then they've got a series of scouts. And, you know, I'm just not sure whether Trevor Holmes and Greg Chappell are doing the best job at the moment? Well, I, I think, you know, Australia's selectors certainly have warranted a lot of criticism over the last few years. But at the moment, I mean, like, what are they supposed to do? I mean, like, their job is to pick the best team. And we could have, you know, 20 people in this room and everyone probably come up with a different team. There is no one in Australian cricket that's standing out to be picked. So, you know, I think the blame is the system and the lack of players coming through rather than the selectors. That's my opinion. I, I didn't have a huge issue with the team they picked in the UAE simply because like where's the where's the real heartbreak story I mean yeah there's a couple of guys you could say are unlucky but there's no like howling decisions there they've picked a couple of guys on on instinct and you know the guys they did pick showed a bit pretty tough gig for the selectors at the moment I reckon I still think they've got the fine margins wrong though and and on England I think um the model that they've gone with is actually probably quite a brave one because when when they introduced that it was 
reasonably heavily criticised by um, by the press over there, I, I recall. I think Ed Smith in particular. Well, actually, there were, there were some sections of the press that were backing Ed Smith because of his strong analytic presence as well. Media pre- presence and his his love of kind of the analytical side of things. That, that was definitely a big big push. But a lot of kind of the old timers, the the traditional cricket fan, ex ex players, for example, did not necessarily support Ed Smith's. Um, promotion to that role so I think that was quite a brave brave move and I don't really know who might be the uh, the equivalent Ed Smith who, might, who could lead the Australian charge you might put your hand up Menace <laughs> but but England have had really good run of results since he was appointed I mean they've just won a series in Sri Lanka uh, for the first time they've won overseas in three years and I think having James Taylor there who's just left the game is obviously a huge boost to the, the panel and he would have played against mm. some of the players he's selecting on so you have insights that a normal selector wouldn't have. So I think that's important. So, look, I just think it's something to look at. One thing Alan Border made a very clear point is it's actually not that easy to get people to be selectors. You know, there's not a lot of money involved but there's a lot of time and a lot of heat and a lot of media pressure. I'm reading Rod Marsh's book for the interview and – you know, he talks about the constant media pressure from being a selector. So it's not a, an easy job, but I just think maybe we should look at a, a, a different structure now and sort of scout-based model with some couple more maybe younger players or players that have just come out of the system who have more in-depth knowledge. The, the scout-based model is definitely something which has got merit because that gives you, and I'm sure they do have scouts across the country because with the selectors that they have, they don't they, they can't physically beat every every um, game that they want to be at. But if you have... Are they independent scouts or are they ringing up a state-based coach and asking for their feedback? I mean, ideally, you want them at, you want, you want want people at the games to, to see. You don't want to be, you don't want to be getting second-hand information. Mm. You, want, you want somebody who can directly pass that feedback on to, you know, whether it be Langer or Chapel or Hones. Like, you need a core group of independent guys to be able to, to, to feed you back information, I, I would think. Nice email from Chris Downing this week. He asked what Trent Copeland has to do to get a look in for national honours again. Well, I looked through Trent Copeland's record and he's taken 300 wickets at about 25 in first-class cricket. So he's got the the performances on the board, but I just think we have that beautiful Hazelwood come and start triumvirate. It's very hard to... Sort of get in there. You just have to look at this week. The, the the Test boys come back for the New South Wales team, and Trent's carrying the drinks. So it's pretty hard to get into the national side when you can't hold your spot in the state side. But well, how, how about this? How about he bats? Uh, if you put him up against Mitch Marsh, for example, how does his bowling obviously stacks up very very oh, favourably against harsh. against Mitch Butter. Marsh? That's well, a slap down if I've ever heard it. But how 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 else are you going to get it, fit him in the team? So if you maybe say if you bat Tim Payne a little bit higher. And Pat Co- and Pat Copes at seven, maybe Copes has got uh, he's got some runs on the board and this he's year got as well. Contact lenses this year, and now that he has the contacts revealed, so. now that he has the contacts in, he can score some runs. But, but seriously, Copes could go to England next year. He's in that sort of Sayers category that would do really well on mm. English wickets. He could yeah. be uh, Mohammad Abbas, uh, Vernon Philander, that kind of. Character. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's going to get too many games in Australia, despite the fact he obviously has a great Shield record. But yeah, I mean, for England next year, he's yeah, he deserves to be in the. Conversation and um, yeah, what a what a performer he's been in um, domestic cricket. You know, I mean, and great at Supercoach. Mm. <laughs> All right, so let's move on now to wrap up game. I well, thought you weren't allowed to make rugby league references on this show. Supercoach BBL, mate, it's coming. It oh, is coming. You, you know there. where he cut his teeth. Supercoach rugby league. It's going to be a really tough edit this podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, let's wrap up the f- the first T20 game of the summer, Australia v South Africa at Metricon Stadium. Australia lost a 10-over game to South Africa by 21 runs. Probably not the best time to play a 10-over game when you're struggling for confidence. Yeah, yeah. They just can't take a trick, can they? But It was a match memorable for Max's catch and very little else from, mm. what, I, from what I would be uh, happy Yeah, to look, it's a hard, I mean, what do you do in a 10-over game? But it's probably don't not the best. Pie, don't buy pies in the first two overs. That's not, that's yeah. not going to help. Yeah, yeah, maybe they can sort of start again for this Indian series. I mean, a one-off T20 is a bit of a... Yeah, when it's reduced to 10 overs, it yeah. just feels like... A I mean, the trophy presentation afterwards was interesting. Like, Was it a biscuit again? Gillette or? T20 series of one game. Um, Look good, though, the Metricon Stadium. I've never been there before, but I don't know what they do there when they're not playing cricket, but it looks very nice. Um, have you heard of another sport called Australian Rules Football? Ah, uh, the Suns. That's right. Doesn't get a huge, huge... Uh, <laughs> Discussion on this on this panel. I have to get Crash on to talk about the Suns. He tells some interesting stories about them. That game's done and dusted. South Africa leave, having towed us up again, three one over the one day in T Twenty games. Faf again conquers Australia. But the the big one now is there's three T Twenty matches coming up against India exclusively on Fox Cricket. They're at the Gabba, the MCG, and the SCG. And quite simply, Australia needs to win any game they can to just get some positive mm. vibes. Mm. Yeah, they just need a circuit breaker, don't they? I mean, they went close in the one-day series, as in, you know, they, they pulled that one out of the fire in the second game. And then the third match, just little things. Like if they'd mitigated some of the damage in those last five overs when South Africa's, you know, Faf Giplessy and um, Miller got away, or if, you know, Stoinis had a bit batted a bit longer, um, Sean Marsh as well as he batted, if he had batted another couple of overs, you know, they weren't far off pulling off a pretty special win there. And and I think that if they'd won that series, that would have been quite a big um, boost given things, what's going on. But, um, yeah, I think they've just got to roll with the punches at the moment. I do think that um, the Test Series is their best. They're, it sounds strange to say, but I actually think that the Test format is, is probably where they're, uh, I'm not going to say strongest, but I actually think that that'll be where they're at their most competitive. I mean, there's not a lot to get out of this series. It'll be very entertaining. I mean, India play a great brand of T20 cricket. They're ranked second on the world uh, rankings, Australia at third. So it's a 2v3 showdown. So it's spots in the ladder up for grabs. But truthfully, it is a little bit of an entree to the test series. It does give us a chance to look at some of the players we'll face in the test matches. We're probably a little bit too far from the T20 World Cup to sort of be thinking about really the combinations in our side yet. So it's a sort of entertaining series. I think there'll be some great cricket involved. It's more about Australia trying to get some confidence and India will be desperate to win. They love winning down here. But truthfully, I think if you ask a lot of players involved in the Australian T20 side, they would rather be playing in the Sheffield Shield right now. Yeah, well, any of them who are actually pushing for test spots or who think that they can make a case for a, for a test spot, I think they'd definitely be uh, be more interested in playing some red ball cricket. Yeah, I mean, Finchy needs some runs as well. Well, I mean, Finch is going better in red ball than he is in white ball, which is something that I don't know if we've ever said before, but um, his, his white ball form over the past six or seven innings, I don't think he's reached 20. At all. No, but his overall year... Like I don't, I think there's only been one better performed player than him this year in the Australian side overall. Yeah, across all formats. Or... No, in the, in white ball cricket, yeah, okay. in one day cricket this year. So yeah, he's he's had a poor Bad. series, but yeah. you know he, he he went okay in England, I think, and certainly uh, look, he's the least of their worries. I mean, I think you just trust Aaron Finch will come good. 
yeah, the, the the rhythm of the side, which people like Kerry O'Keefe have spoken about extensively. There's just too many players who are, who are too much the same, I think, in, in that Australian side. And they need guys who can, you know, go to the second and third gear and come, you know, back and forth. And Aaron Finch said one-dimensional. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Interestingly, Aaron Finch said that, you know, he made some changes to sort of improve his game against the red ball and they've affected his white ball game a little bit, which is an honest assessment of his own game and sort of displays the difficulties the players have changing formats. And they always give you, oh, mate, we can do it. But that was a sort of insight that sometimes it's not as easy as you think. Particularly for someone like him. I mean, someone like Dave Warner's been doing it for years and, you know, I think it, you know, once you've been doing it long enough. But Aaron Finch is 31, 32 like desperately trying to cement himself in test cricket. Like this has been his dream for a long time. So for him, I think, you know, you get yourself so invested in making the most of that test opportunity. I can see how that's a difficult transition to make. But then you look at um, a lot of the criticism from the T20 loss over the weekend was how Australia were trying all the funky shots, the unconventional shots, shuffling around the crease, Ben McDermott doing a scoop shot, which gets a a tickle of an edge, and Warnie spraying them going, Graham Hicks got to go why don't they just play normal conventional cricket strokes? And if Finchie's made the tweaks to his game, you'd think, which are firming up his red ball game, probably more conventional cricket shots. I think that should be helping them rather than mm. then going, I've, I've learned how to play conventional cricket shots, but then I come back into the T20 and I'm like, oh no, I've got to do the scoop now. It's like, maybe just try the conventional cricket shots, see how they go. That's what seems to be working for Faf Duplessis, for example. Well, yeah, like we had um, start. In uh, from courtesy of our friends at CrickViz in the um, paper on Saturday, and Faf Duplessis, like you look at his record for being able to rotate the strike, basically as his dominant way of scoring runs, and there's no one in the Australian team that does that, and yet Faf was, yeah, I would say the best batsman of that one day series, and um, it just shows how important, how underrated that is, like. You know, there's there's two teams who are dominating one-day cricket at the moment. One is England, and they are just bashing the cover off it, basically. But the other one's India, and they have a slower way of building into it, and they got their hitters at the end. Um, so Australia needs to develop a strategy, and I'd suggest that the best strategy for them is to um, is to get a couple of guys who can actually work the ball around a bit, you know, like, well, Steve Smith, if, mm. have you heard of him? Usman Khawaja's and, uh, another one. Khawaja and, and Peter Hanscom, these kind of guys, I think, and Dave Warner at the top. All right, listeners, we are going to take a quick break on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast, and then we'll be back with the week of cricket headlines. Before we take a break, I just want to thank some lovely listeners who've gone onto the Australian iTunes store and left some reviews. So, Sertina007 has said this podcast has been in in its element since the cheating scandal, and it has made a lot of people sit up and take notice. So, thank you, Sertina, for that review and daniel g97 hi andrew love the show always listening to it in my car on the way home from work keep it up so thank you for leaving those reviews and if any listeners have got time please go on to whatever app you listen to the podcast on and leave a review of the show it's a great way for new people to find the podcast all right we'll be back in a moment with the cricket headlines Slip comes out of play for Healy. 
Goes big, looking for the six to bring up the 50. Will it get all the way there? Yes, it will. What a way to bring up the half century. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. Men is here with Horn and Barton, and that was Elisa Healy bringing up a scorching 50 in the Women's World T20. Uh, Mel Jones on the call there, and the Australians have hit a bump in their World T20 campaign. So let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Sydney's Daily Telegraph. I'll start with you, Bardo. The Aussie women lost their final group game to India. They copped a bit of a toweling. Now they play the West Indies in the semi-final, who they lost the last World T20 final. Do you see trouble ahead for the Australian women's T20 side? Uh, it could be. Um, definitely, if Alyssa Healy doesn't play, that's a massive loss because through their first three games, I think she had three half-centuries. Player so Alyssa Healy smacked ahead against India, so she's got mild concussion yeah. and, and is in danger of missing the game. Yeah, she she had a um, she and Megan Shute both going for the same catch. She copped a bump. I think she copped a shot, uh, Shute's shoulder into her head, and then she hit her head on the um, on the on the hard wicket, which I think probably did more of the damage and wasn't able to play on. Couldn't bat, and then yeah, Harman Harman Preet Kaur. Once again, she's been uh, Australia's enemy a couple Shruti of times. Shruti Mandana was on fire too. Yeah, it was, and, and then Australia it was quite it was quite a heavy loss. Like it was, it's not not the sort of uh, defeat that you would expect from the heavy favourites, the the number one team in the world. But if Alicia Healy plays, she's she's a massive in. But I think Australia probably should still be reasonably confident going in against the West Indies, who locked up the semi final spot and top spot in Group A by beating England. Look, they should have lost that game. They they definitely should have. Deandra Dotton and, and um, Campbell came to the came to the fore in the end, and some truly shambolic, <laughs> classical uh, English choking at the end. Dropped with, a couple of sitters. Dropped, dropped three catches in the final three overs. All I mean, all, all of which would have brought a great smile to your face. I'd imagine, Menace. Very enjoyable. Uh, just a big loss, though. If Australia doesn't have Elisa Healy in its semi-final match, I mean, she scored 50 off 21 balls against Ireland. That's the second fastest uh, women's World T20 50. Or it's the fastest World T20 50 and the second fastest T20 50 for women. So, I mean, if she can't play, it'll really change the, the balance of the team. Yeah, she's been there by far the best, um, best batter um, Australia's had throughout the tournament. Um, and you could even against uh, New Zealand. I mean, she was blazing then again, and another extremely um, quick fire fifty. But once she went, it looked like Australia was going to hit some really high marks. But once she went, the the run rate just plummeted. So if you don't have her at the top of the order, really going nuts. I'm not sure exactly who comes in. Maybe Nicole Bolton might might come in mm. um, at the top of the order. Or maybe Elise Villani could could move up the order and you could slot somebody else in the middle order. But, yeah, it definitely puts more pressure on Beth Mooney to, to take some responsibility there and, and Meg Lanning at number three as well. Another big achievement, Elise Perry became the first ever Australian to play 100 T20 games for her country. So congratulations, Elise Perry. Just another record to add to her list of uh, records. Uh, and just finally uh, on the women's game there was a very interesting article in the Adelaide Advertiser that really displays what's changed since the MOU agreement that uh, gives women's cricketers a lot more remuneration for their work so the South Australian women's players contracts this year are worth 26,000 per player for the season which has gone up from the 2,500 a season that they were paid in 2013-2014. Add to that so they can get match payments and 
extra money for playing in the women's big bash. For playing in the women's big bash, women can get between eleven and twenty-eight thousand. So, you know, you put that together, a a women's player can now earn a decent wage for playing cricket for their state. Yeah, it's great to see. Uh, New South Wales sort of led the way with that a couple of years years ago. Um, That'd be around. 50, 50k roughly, give or take, depending on your, your big batch contract, which is very good considering it was 2,500 a season a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. From where it's been, it's a great result. Um, they obviously need to do more to keep, you know, advancing it, which which I'm sure they will. I mean, um, you know, Cricket Australia deserves a lot of criticism in a lot of areas, but I don't think you can fault their commitment to um, making women's cricket the sort of elite uh, women's sport in Australia. So, I'm sure it's all going to keep going in the one direction. World leaders, Australian cricket in that sense. All right, now, a stink is brewing. Cricket Australia's stance on the IPL has raised a few eyebrows. So Cricket Australia released a statement basically saying that Australia's one-day international players for the World Cup next year will miss the last three or four weeks of the IPL and possibly the first week of the IPL, which has meant as a result of that a lot of players have been released. Uh, so you've got Finch, Maxwell, Short and Stark all released. Surprisingly, Smith and Warner have been retained uh, even during their bans. So what do you think of the Cricket Australia's stance on this? Well, it is a World Cup. so <laughs> I think it's fair enough. Really. Um, yeah, like they want to get the team together and get them... Um, yeah, get them prepared. In Smith and Warner's case, it's probably a bit more <clears throat> tricky because, um, you know, we're waiting to hear what happens with these bands and uh, there is a strong chance that they may be allowed to play a few Shield games at the end of the season. But uh, if that doesn't happen, then the IPL is about the only serious cricket that Warner and Smith will be playing. So I guess you could mount an argument that the longer they play in that IPL tournament, high stakes cricket, the better it might be for Australia. But, you know, you've got to... You've got to get the team together, don't you? I mean, the World Cup is is a huge thing. And, and is have... that where you see Smith and Warner's bands at the moment? That sort of unlikely they'll come back for the Big Bash, but more likely they'd be allowed in the Sheffield Shield? Yeah, uh, like 100% uh, no chance of playing international cricket or Big Bash is my understanding. But um, there's been a very strong case put for them playing the last few Shield games. Obviously, it's ultimately a board decision. Um, so that will happen in the next um, you know, day or two. But um, certainly uh, serious, serious consideration given to the Shield aspect of it. I'm, I'm 100% with you on this one, Ben. I think Cricket Australia are doing the, the right thing. The Ashes and the World Cup come way before the IPL. And I guess having seen the way the MOU was conducted by the players, they don't really give themselves much room here. They're, they're in this revenue share model. They need to do what's best for cricket in our country, not another country. So I, I think Cricket Australia's stance is perfectly justified. And if players get a bit less money, well, that's that's the price they pay for playing for their country. Yeah, the, the, the IPL deals are, are fantastic and they're, they're there to supplement the, um, the incomes. But Cricket Australia pays the bulk of their wages each and every year. That's where... That's where their bread's buttered. Well, have you like, seen some of those IPL contracts? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's a some big one point eight million or something. There, there's some big, there's some big money out there, but I mean, but I yeah. think the Indian players will be sitting out at the end of the IPL. I mean, that's what I've been told anyway. You know, there's no way the Indian players or the, the star players will play the whole IPL. They want to win the World Cup as much as we do. I mean, I guess the most surprising thing is the fact that the World Cup organisers have been able to get this past India. <laughs> 
I mean, the timing of the World Cup, I guess, is the is the surprising thing. But you Early know, summer. but there's so much cricket to be played in England next year, as we know, with the Ashes that follow. So I guess it just had to be that way. But um, yeah, we were duped, by the way, on that one. I'm convinced Australia was swindled in to playing a World Cup in an Ashes in the same summer. I mean, you need to get get onto this, Ben. I don't know how we agreed to that. Well, I they did agree to it, but, but I just don't know how. Like, who who's making these decisions? Mm. Well, my understanding, and this has been denied by Cricket Australia, but my understanding is that England knocked back the same proposal last time. Like, the, mm. the Ashes was meant to be the same summer as the 2014-15 World Cup here, but it ended up being played the year before, which was six months after the previous series. So, England didn't want that cycle, but Australia's been happy to to cop it. But um, well, yeah. it's going to be hard for us to win both. I mean, can you can you see us going there and winning <laughs> the World agree Cup with that. the Ashes? <laughs> which, which one do you think we'll lose? <laughs> uh, this brought up a debate about Pat Cummins' um, manager or agent talking about perhaps getting a long-term contract for Australian international players that would give them an incentive to sit out the IPL. So, I mean, it has merit in it that if you're a genuine Aussie star and you're going to forego a lot of income to not play the IPL for the good of your team team and your country's performance, perhaps you should be compensated. But can you theoretically contract a player for a few years and get, you're not guaranteeing them selection. So you could be, so if someone has has a form slump, you could be paying them to play shield cricket. Yeah, that's, that's the danger with it. I mean, yeah, I can sort of see both sides of it. I mean, I I can see why, you know, you look at other sports, you know, multi-year deals are Place, yeah, you know, I, I can see why, especially fast bowlers would appreciate that kind of but look, insurance. Look, look at Cummins. I mean, he's 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 had six years of injury hell, so I, I can completely understand why he would want say, yeah. yeah, I'll have this current wage for the next five years guaranteed, as opposed to if if he has another injury, say this summer or next summer, and suddenly maybe he's not playing cricket in three years. That's why that's why he wants the long term security because mm. there would be no IPL dollars coming that. Um, well, down well, look the front at someone anyway. like John Hastings. I mean, he's 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 thirty three. He's just retired. He was probably hoping to get a few years playing T Twenty leagues to build up his savings. Now that's been taken away with injury. You know, players like Pat Cummins could see the same thing for them. You know, what if I get to thirty and I get an injury and I can't bowl anymore? I, I forego a lot of income. Yeah, I mean, particularly for the fast bowlers, like the IPL is. A luxury that they normally can't afford. Like look back the last few years, um, you know that the players have had to pull out for niggling injuries to you know make the Australian cricket their priority. Yeah, and and also that's that's angered Indian teams as well. Like they feel like players pull out, you know, where they could be playing or whatever. So I think particularly in the fast bowlers' point of view, it's it makes a lot of sense to to want to have a long term deal. All right. So our next bit of cricket news is. Uh looking at the Sheffield Shield results um, with a focus on, you know, who's going to be in that first Test eleven for Australia. The round is not finished yet, as we record this, listeners, so some of these scores might slightly change. But Travis Head made 87, Sean Marsh 72, Lobuchain 50, Alex Doolan made 94, Mitch Marsh 44, Renshaw 21 and 6, and Moses Enriquez 152 in New South Wales' first innings. No one's really made the big score that they would have craved to put their name sort of right in front of the selectors. Uh, could you see someone like Alex Doolan getting a call up? Well, he, if you look at his record this summer, he certainly deserves to be in the conversation because, yeah, if you're looking for someone who's in form, he's 
basically consistently scored in every match he's played this year. So, um, yeah, but his overall record is concerning. He's played 100 first-class matches and averages 34, 35. So it's not sort of like knock-you-down type stuff, but he is in good form. So based on where we're at at the moment, he has to seriously be in, in consideration. I guess what's worrying is the first inning scores across the board. No team made above 300 in any of these matches. So, again, and, we're just seeing... And Tasmania got rolled for 81. Yeah, we're seeing a sort of glut yeah. of bad batting performances. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote a little thing this morning which um, you know led on, on Alex Carey being in the mix. and Dolan. I'm in. Sorry, yeah, Dylan, uh, um, Alex Dillon. Oh, I did make a fairly big oversight in that, in that uh, oh, I hadn't looked at where Western Australia were up to, and I sort of said that the Marsh brothers had a poor game, but uh, obviously Sean is well on his way to 100. And, uh, yeah, and both of them have, or- have already done enough to be picked. I don't think there's any doubt about the Marsh brothers being in there. Yeah, I think the only spot that's really in question now is Lobuchane, whether they pick an opener and put Kawaja at three, and then that'll uh, throw Lobuchane out. Yeah, Travis Head's probably not 100% safe either. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the tough question. Would you stick with Head or Labashain, Butter? I'd be sticking with Head. Um, he hasn't impressed me hugely, um, even even outside of that 70 he got in the OAE. But he's, he's a mid-20s batsman who has a lot of support, sound technique. I think um, he's one of the – we talked about picking and sticking before. He's he's of the right age and, and calibre that he's one of the ones you want to stick with. Not that Labuschagne is not, but um, given the choice between the two, I'm leaning towards the South Australian. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. And Mike Hussey agreed with you. They said stick with head. Hussey always agrees with me. We're all on the same wavelength, <laughs> me and Mr Cricket. <laughs> so am I. All right. Listeners, that was the week in cricket headlines. Well, I'm going to be back after the break with Rod Marsh and Alex Carey, two very fine wicket keepers for Australia. So that's it for Ben Horn and Joe Barton this week. Ben, thanks for coming on again. Thanks for having me, Menace. Bardo, great to catch up with you. Always a pleasure. Uh, I'll be back after the break with Rod Marsh. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. Joining me now is an absolute legend of Australian cricket. He played 96 tests for Australia. He was the Aussie test keeper for 14 years and then since retirement has made an immense contribution to Australian cricket, setting up the academy in Adelaide and then um, being a national selector. So welcome to the show, Rod Marsh. How are you? Thank you, Andy. I'm good. Thanks, man. Now, congratulations on your new book called Rod Marsh, Celebrating 50 Years of First Class Cricket. I thought it was a really interesting read, a great mix of autobiographical uh, material and then testimonials from people you played against and with. Yeah, well, it took me a while to write it, let me tell you, because I only had an uh, an iPad to do it on and I'm a one-fingered typist, so it was was a labour of love. Uh, shall we put it that way? But it was it was all good fun. You know, let's just start with your playing career. I found it a really interesting read because a lot of it happened before I was old enough to follow the game. And one thing that came across is that the World Series cricket era was really really controversial. I mean, we look at Sandpaper Gate as being a rough year, but this this era of World Series cricket was very fractious. Oh yeah, I mean, as I say to people now, if you think the game. Uh, was brought into uh, a little bit of turmoil uh, over that sandpaper business. God, you should have been around in 1977 because it, it was just... Well, we were persona non grata. We were we were the uh, scum of the earth. 
by going to World Series cricket. And yet, it, you know, as it turned out, uh, 40 years later, uh, we're at a uh, reunion of the centenary test and all of the Cricket Australia hierarchy thanked us for, for doing what we did. That was yeah, going to play World Series cricket. And I imagine day-to-day that period would have been really tough on you guys. I mean, ostracised, um, you know, it must have been a really tough time. Well, it was, but, you know, in the end, we were getting paid for what we were doing and we were getting paid a fair wage for what we were doing as compared with what we were getting for playing uh, for the ACB in those days. So, you know, it, it was... it was We were ostracised and it was tough, but at least we could feed the families. That's right. And I guess um, one thing that came out reading the book about the sort of style of cricket in the era... It seemed quite a brutal era to play in that there was a lot of fast bowlers, the West Indies, and we had Tomo and Lily, and it was sort of really brutal form of cricket. No, our volleys. <laughs> I, I, in fact, I reckon I went for about five years without getting a half volley. I had to retire from the game and go back to club cricket to get a half volley. It was amazing. And, you know, people's batting suffered because of it. Mine certainly did. Uh, it wasn't easy making runs against the West Indies, I can promise you. And I guess when you walked out to bat, you were sort of wondering when you'd get a break from the 90-plus-mile-an-hour fast bowlers. <laughs> when you walked out to bat, you were wondering whether you are ever going to walk back or come <laughs> back on a stretcher, you know? <laughs> and what was it like keeping to Jeff Thompson? Because he's he's the sort of most lethal bowler I've ever seen. I mean, what was it like keeping to him? Well, I was a hell of a lot better keeping to him than batting against him, I can promise you that, because you had 30 yards extra to see the ball. Uh, and it was... Nah, keeping was easy. Uh, batting against him was tough. Yeah, I bet you didn't like it when you uh, had to face him in the shield. Or the nets. Did he bowl in the nets back then? <laughs> yeah, not much. But he didn't want him to bowl in the nets. He preferred him not to. And, uh, you know, his his fast bowling partner, Dennis Lilly, I mean, such a legend of the game. But one thing that stands out for me is every fast bowler I've spoken to that's been coached under Dennis Lilly raves about his coaching. I mean, is he the fast bowling whisperer? Well, you know, he's the best fast bowler I've ever seen. And he's the best fast bowling coach I've ever seen. It's, it's pretty simple, really. You know, he's smart enough to be able to hand on this knowledge to young fast bowlers. And the one thing he, he always sort of maintained, if you want to be a fast bowler, you've got to run. And, you know, that was drummed into him by his grandfather, a fellow called Pop Halifax, that's who I knew him as. And he always used to say, Dennis, if you want to be a fast bowler, you've got to run. And Dennis ran. And he had great stamina. He never, ever wanted the ball out of his hand. And I think he's trying to instill this into the people he's uh, actually coached in many countries all over the world. And do you think he's been underutilised by Cricket Australia since retirement? Oh, look, I'm not getting into that uh, area because, you know, all I know is that Dennis is the best fast bowling coach I've ever seen. And I know that a lot of the young fast bowlers go to Dennis, uh, even today, and, and talk to him about the art of fast bowling. So, uh, you know, it's it's not my position to uh, tell people who they should employ. When you were writing the book and sort of going through your experiences at the top level, what what things really uh, stood out for you as being like the moments of your career that really were quite vivid? Oh, look, I mean, just getting chosen is, is, is the most important moment of any cricketer's life, I think, uh, whether it be for your state or for your country. 
And the thing is, once you're chosen for your state, you're in the mix to play for Australia because there's only six states and there's only 66 blokes that run around every week. And in my case, there's only six wicket keepers that run around every week. So, I mean, I needed to be the best of those six and I'd get a game for Australia. And, you know, when you look at look at it that way, uh, once you play, you're not that far off. Once you play for your state, you're not that far off playing for your country. And uh, how did you find out that you'd been selected for Australia? Oh, well, my wife rang me from Perth. I was in Brisbane. Uh, and, you know, there's no such thing as a selector ringing you. That uh, never happened. You, you found out by listening to the radio or, or someone telling you. <laughs> so communication wasn't the selector's strong point at that time? No, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot said about that, about, you know, the communication between selectors and players. You know, the most important thing is that you get a game. It doesn't matter who tells you, in my opinion. And once you get chosen, you know, that. The hardest thing to do, the easy part is getting chosen. The hardest thing to do is succeed. So you've got to spend a lot of time on concentrating on uh, making sure that you've got the right gear to succeed. And that includes having the right mindset, you know, the right fitness and the right preparation, all those sort of things we toss about in professional sport. But once you get chosen, you know, that's easy. But succeeding is a lot harder. Absolutely. Now, you retired in 1984, and a lot of cricketers, when they retire, that's sort of the, towards the end of their contribution to the game. But your contribution post-playing has been immense. And I think just reading through your book, the amount of absolute cricket stars that you coached, it's first in the Australian Academy, you know, hugely, Ponting, Gilchrist. What was it, what was it like for you at that stage coaching those young men? Well, I mean, that's some of the best times of my life to rub shoulders with these very talented youngsters and to see them develop. It's uh, it's a massive thrill. And I mean, I probably got more uh, excitement out of Ricky Ponting making his first hundred than I did making mine. And it's, you know, it's a difficult thing to say and it probably people say, oh, yeah, he's just saying that. But, you know, watching these guys succeed is... It was just brilliant because you get to know them and you know how much they want to succeed. You know how much they love their country. And it's just an absolute privilege to have had the opportunity to look after some of these great players. And then, you know, you did it in England, in India for the ICC. Uh, What was it like going to England and setting up an academy there and trying to sort of get to know their system of cricket? Well, yeah, it was great. And also getting to know their players. I mean, the thing about cricket is it it doesn't matter which team you play for. Uh, Let's face it, it's... It's loving the game and uh, having this will to compete and succeed and, and, and making sure that the game goes forward and the game keeps on improving. And most of the guys uh, that I've ever been involved with are like that. And you know, it's just, it's very rewarding for those that have coached and those that have been part of that whole system. You know, young people uh, are the future. And you know, I just hope that uh, Australia produces some good young players that, that will go on and do what some of their people before them have done and, and that's be successful and, and lead Australia back to uh, you know number one in the world that would be great yeah it's, I think it's going to be a, a steep climb for the Aussie team but one thing that came across in your book is how how much pride you had in playing for your state and how important the shield competition was and I think there's there's going to be a subtle shift to put some more importance back into the shield do you think that's sort of the way to go oh definitely I mean you have to uh you have to show Shield cricket uh, the utmost respect because that's the next level below Test match cricket. And, you know, the problem, I guess, is that only really Australia and England are getting ample crowds along to Test match cricket these days. And 
you know, one wonders where it's all going to finish up, whether people will watch Test Match Cricket. I'm sure they'll watch the Ashes series, but that worries me a lot. Uh, and this summer of cricket coming up will be uh, a good indication of just where Test Cricket is, I think. Yeah, I agree. But I like the Test Championship that they're introducing to give some, some kind of context to every Test. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. I mean, I'm not sure what sort of difference that's going to make. I mean, we've got to get people along to the Test Match. How you do that, I don't know. I've been... And I've said, you know, well, give them a free beer, get them along to the test match that way, or in India, give them a free curry. I don't know. Look, I really don't know whether that's going to help or not, but all I know is that we've got to try everything because there's a lot of people out here in uh, in our country and a lot of people in England that will just love test match cricket. And I think once you get people along to watch test match cricket, then they will come back and watch test match cricket because they can see some really good stuff in it, whereas you know, I'm not sure about the shorter forms of the game as far as, you know, I'm not sure whether people go along there to watch the game or is it just a social experience, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a tough one and I I think a good test match you'll never forget for the rest of your life, whereas I'm not sure you can say the same about a white ball game No, well, geez, that's that's exactly right. I, I remember every test match I played, but I don't remember every one-day game I played. Now, to wrap things up, you had three jobs. You were a player, you were a coach all around the world, but it seems like the toughest job you had was being an Australian selector. Was that a pretty stressful position? Not at all. I mean, I did my best, and uh, whatever happened, happened. I enjoyed the role both as a, a selector and then as chairman of selectors, but it's, you know, it's something you... You give your best to, and you know what? Sometimes you make mistakes, and a lot of the times all you do is pick the team that you actually want to win. But however, there's a lot of people out there think you deliberately pick a team to lose, which absolutely staggers me that uh, people should say that. They don't say it in as many words, but they basically say that you've got no idea about selection. Well... Maybe we didn't have that much idea about selection compared with some of the people that have uttered those words. But, you know, we have a hell of a lot of experience in playing the game and watching the game and coaching the game. And, and more importantly, knowing what is required to succeed at the levels that we've chosen these people for. And sometimes we get it wrong. And that's human nature. I wish we were all perfect like some of the people that write about the game. How much of character do you think should go into selection? Well... I mean, it's really nice if you've got two blokes with the same ability and you've got one bloke who's a rogue and the other bloke's a fantastic bloke, you pick the bloke who's a fantastic bloke. But if the rogue is a better player than the fantastic bloke, you pick the rogue and sort him out when you get him in the team. Yeah, good advice. Well, Rod, thank you so much for your time and having a chat on the podcast. Congratulations on your book. It's a fascinating read. I'd encourage all the listeners to go out and find it. Yeah, not a problem. I enjoyed writing it. It was a hell of a good Christmas present. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely. Take care, Rod. Thanks for your time. Yeah, mate. Bye, Andrew. Well, listeners, that was Australian wicket-keeping legend Rod Marsh. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back with Australia's current one-day and T20 wicket-keeper, Alex Carey. There it is. The single to bring up 100. We've seen some classy ones in the Big Bash. That is certainly right up there. The first for Kerry, the second for the Adelaide Strikers. Hello, listeners. I have a special guest on the line now. I have Australia's T20 vice-captain and wicketkeeper, Alex Kerry. Good morning, Alex. How are you? 
Yeah, good morning. I'm very well, thank you. So, there's, you know, you're preparing for the three-match T20 series against India. You know, it quickly shifts from South Africa to India. How are your preparations coming for Virat Kohli and his men? Yeah, it's going to be a, a really exciting three games of T20 cricket. It's obviously we um, uh, the one days didn't didn't go to plan, and we, we we showed glimpses of some really exciting cricket. And South Africa are playing very well, so we obviously reflect on that series. And now we we move into into India into T20 crickets, and I know the boys are, are so excited just to to get out there and you know hopefully hopefully play some really exciting cricket again we've got some seriously big hitters in our side and and obviously our big quicks as well so it's, like i said it's going to be a great series yeah it's the first summer where the international t20s are at the beginning of summer rather than sort of towards the end uh, which helps because players like yourself can probably be involved more in the big bash but does that affect your rhythm at all playing the the t20 internationals so early oh look i I don't think so. Um, obviously, the the last try series against New Zealand and England um, was the, the back end of the Big Bash. So, um, obviously, you had some T Twenty cricket leading into that. Uh, I, I don't think it does. Uh, we obviously play so many games of cricket now and, and different formats that guys are so adaptable and so flexible that they know their games pretty well. And and you know, going into this series off off the back of one day cricket, you know, you, you just sort of flick a switch a little bit, and you know, I don't think the the rhythm will will be you know will change or, or anything like that so no it's good for I think it's good for us to you know go out and play with lots of freedom now and take on what is a pretty pretty strong India side so yeah no like I said we're, we're just so excited to, to get out in front of some what's I've heard are going to be some pretty big crowds which is so exciting yeah uh, bad news though Alex I think um, 60 or 70 percent are going to be cheering on India um, <laughs> Yeah, so I guess the the advantage to the schedule is you get to play more for the strikers later on in the year, which is probably something you're quite happy about. Yeah, big bash crickets, um, it's amazing. It's I had so much fun last year in my first full season, and you know nothing beats playing at Adelaide Oval in front of, like I said, yeah, big crowds, especially the, the strikers crowds were amazing. So yeah, absolutely, it's 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 a great time of the year, the, the big bash, and it's you know it's it's run really well. So if it means playing more more of that, then um, that'd be great if there's, if there's, you know, you obviously want to play for your country as much as possible as well. So if there's games there, then you know that's 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 the it's a good balance. That's the main priority. But yeah, yeah. Then there's and there's even more big bash games this year as well. So yeah, there's a lot of T20 cricket, one day cricket, and obviously there's some test matches throughout the summer as well. So for for players, you know, like myself, trying to to push into the Australian side um, more often, it's there's there's a lot of cricket now. Uh... You've been made co-vice captain of the the white ball teams for Australia. Congratulations! Uh, I, Thank you. Uh, I I have the impression that it's a it's a lot of pressure to put on a, a young player trying to find his feet at international level. It's quite strange. Someone you know hasn't established himself in the side is made vice captain. How are you going with the extra responsibility? Yeah, so far so good. Uh, I think uh, working. With Aaron Finch, he's obviously very experienced and a, he's got a great cricket head on him, and you know he's a he's a fantastic player as well. So for for me to, to work under him and, and you know not um, for me to learn under him as well, and you know I'm still obviously like you said quite new to the scene here, but I, I think for me just uh, the stuff I try to pride myself on the off off the field is um, you know something that I can easily control can control and on the field tactically we'll, we'll I'll, I'll, you know 
we'll keep developing that every game. I think every cricketer does just, you know, build their, their tactical mind. So, yeah, no, I'm not putting any pressure on myself or any extra pressure on myself. I think we've got some, some great support around the group and, you know, standing behind the stumps, is, there's always a good insight in, into the game. So, yeah, like I said, there's, I don't feel any added pressure, but, you know, I'll continue to work and learn and develop my game under under Finchie and, and JL as well. And, you know, you mentioned sort of your off-field presence. What what are you trying to achieve with that? And, and what's your st- what's the style you're going for? Uh, we obviously want really high standards off the field. And, you know, Brad Haddon's come into the side as the fielding coach. And, you know, when he was keeping as well, he was, he was one of the leaders out there. And just seeing him, you know, demand high standards from, from himself and, and from... From other players is you know something that I try to pride myself on as well. So you know the the, the training habits, the the preparation, just all the little things. You know they're they're, they're quite easy to control, and um, like I said, that's sort of where I pride myself on, and and, and you know keep developing on field performances personally and, and and tactically as well. And I'm imagining Brad Haddon must be a great help with your wicket keeping, working with him. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's been fantastic. I've um, been lucky enough to work with him for about three or four months now. Yeah, he's uh, he's very caring. He, he you know takes pride in in developing my game and um, obviously Tim Payne as well when he's when he's with them. So no, he's been he's been outstanding. Uh, you know, along with all the all the other coaches. And and how how is it around the team at the moment? That you know, there's been a bit happening in Australian cricket. You know, how are spirits and and what are you doing to keep the boys up? Yeah, look, the guys are really we're still really positive. We obviously want some results, you know, to fall our way soon, and and I have no doubt that they're going to the the, the work that we're doing, um, the work that JL's you know putting into us, and it's really close to to just ticking over to to some really good performances and you know jail has been fantastic with his messaging to us and you know his preparation for you know for all of us just to keep getting better and it's still such a positive positive vibe around the group and you know like i said i it's i don't think it's far away from from ticking over and, and hopefully this series is a, is a you know is a start to that yeah and what are the some of the messages that justin langer gives to you specifically uh to me personally yeah Oh, Justin's been great with with mine, my cricket. Um, I've only, like I said, only worked with him for yeah, going on probably six months now. When I've when I've been in the side a couple of times, and you know, for me, it's it, it, behind the stumps as well. It's bring the energy for the boys and bring that excitement behind there, and you know, drive that part of the game on the field, and um, and then with the bat, just just be really busy. You know, if it's T Twenty cricket, then then be really busy. From you know, not not as powerful as a Crystalina or a Stoinis, and you know, it can just be as damaging. Like a, a Mike Hussey was so busy at the crease, and you know, was was very smart. So you know, he's 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 definitely bringing out the best of me and um and and the other boys. Yeah, Kerry O'Keefe was talking about some of our batting in the fifty-over game lacked rhythm, but I think you had a great series and just tried to work the the singles and keep the strike rotating, which is, seems like it's come from JL. Yeah, there's 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 lots of parts of our game that we're you know continuing continuing to develop. You know, if it's like I said, if it's slugging one over the boundary or if it's knocking one in the gut to to push for a quick two or um, even a quick single, it's just developing all all parts of our game and probably a 360 game definitely in white ball cricket now you, you see guys around the world like a Josh Butler he, he can score 360 so you know I, I guess not being too one-dimensional and, and just having other parts of our game 
if, if, if we need it. And reports are that Justin Lang is really pushing you guys on the training field, you know, long sessions, really working on your skills. How hard are the sessions at the moment? Uh, the session's been great. I think all the boys are really invested in it as well. So if Dale leads the, the session, obviously, and, and the boys um, are really keen to, to train really well every time we go out there. So... Oh look, they've they've been they've just been at a high standard. I wouldn't say that they've you know we're getting smashed by Dan. I would say that um, we're all invested in in getting better, and you know they've been at a very high standard. So you know if it goes for one hour, or if it goes for three or four hours, it's 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 all quality stuff, you know, which has been great. And uh, you know when when Australia has a tough loss or something, are you the sort of person that can sort of put it out of your mind and get on with things, or or do you take your problems home with you? Oh, look, I, I do like to reflect. Um, obviously, losing there's there's parts that go wrong, and you know you definitely need to learn from from those experiences. And I guess with our our series um, against South Africa and and now against India, that you know you don't have too much time to reflect, and you have to move on to the next game. But you know there's there's definitely a period after the game where you you sort of sit back and think, what could I have done better, and um, hopefully learn from that going into the next game. So. No, I definitely believe there's, you know, there's, there's always time for reflection. And even if you do win, it's, you know, you sort of reflect as well. What did I do well and why did I do that? So, yeah, no, win, lose or draw, I, I, I definitely think about the game, that's for sure. That's great. And and podcasts are a great um, mode of reflection. A lot of reflection goes on a podcast. So I guess I'll ask you then, are you kind of happy with where you're at now, you know, in your career, you must be stoked to be sort of in the white ball set up and vice captain. You must be really pleased with the path that you're on. Yeah, look, I, I guess I'm, I'm really proud to play for my country. And, you know, that's something I want to do more of, uh, which will come by, you know, playing good cricket and continually to, to work on my game. And, you know, hopefully one day play test cricket for Australia. That's, you know, that's a, a really big goal and dream of mine. So, yeah, there's still, still lots of work that, that I need to do to be better um, and to be more consistent. And um, like I said, keep putting my hand up to play play cricket for my country. And then when I do go back and, and play shield cricket or big bash cricket, it's, you know, it's play really well there as well. So, yeah, I, I think I've got a, a really good opportunity now. But it, like I said, it's still a lot of hard work to come and, and lots of uh, developing my game. And no, I'm excited for, you know, me personally and, and, and for the team as well. I, I think, like I said, we're, we're so close to having some, some great success around the country. You know, and, and I don't think that's too far away. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just think the way the team seems to be working hard and JL's got you all sort of having a positive vibe, I think things will turn around and, you know, yeah. that's that's the best way to do it. Just stick at it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if it doesn't work for the first couple of months, it, you know, it could be quite deflating. But, you know, we're, we're like I said, we're all still so positive that, you know, it's it's so close, and uh, the guys are, are really keen, really excited just to to get in and play against India, and you know, it's going to be an exciting three games of cricket. Yeah, it will be. Last question before I let you go, Alex. So this Indian T20 side, I was looking at them. You know, they've got a host of IPL stars, powerful batting. What's your sort of what's your feeling and read of the Indian T20 team? Um, yeah, they're, they're they're obviously really strong. They've played a lot of T20 cricket now and you know they're coming over here with with some great confidence so but you know so of our guys we've we've got a lot of players that have played a lot of IPL and um, a lot of cricket against this team so you know we're, we're, we're definitely up for the challenge and you know I think we've, uh, we're, we're going in probably as underdogs but you know there's nothing wrong with that we love a fight around Australia and 
we're ready to get to get in there and, and really show our stuff. We've we've got a an exciting group of players, like I said, at the top there with you know Darcy Short and Aaron Finch and Chris Lynn and Ben McDermott. Ben, ben McDermott. McDermott. East Maxim as well and Glenn Maxwell obviously goes pretty well. And then with our quicks, you know, Jason Berendorf's played really well against India in the past. Billy Stanlake's come up against him, so it's cool to know. And our two spinners, Zamper and and Agar, so it's you know you look across the board, and we've got a we've got a really exciting group of players, and it you know for me I, I just want to see our boys go out and let go and play with lots of freedom and, and take on this 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 Indian team, which is like you said it's, it's jam packed um, full of superstars. So you know it's it's going to be awesome, and like you said the the crowds are going to be filled with Indian crowds and 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 Australian great you know great Australian fans as well. So it's it's going to be awesome. Absolutely fantastic. Alex, it will be lots of fun. Well, thanks so much for your time this morning. Best of luck in your preparations for the series. And I'm sure you'll be doing lots of range hitting with the guys. So enjoy that. And (laughs) hopefully uh, we'll catch up later in the season. Sounds great. Love the support. Thanks again. Well, another ripping show. Thank you so much for downloading Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks to Ben Horn, Joe Barton, Rod Marsh and Alex Carey for taking the time to chat on the show. Remember, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at A-Meners, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S, or you can email me at ozcricketpod at gmail.com. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with another show. 